Radio AM 1290 and FM 96.9. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Chrysell and Diane Duvernay, your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9 and streaming at AM 1290, KZSB.com. We're repeated at 11 and Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and in Montecito's Upper Village. At Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Happy Monday, Neil. Any exciting plans for Valentine's Day with your wife? No, I'm too old for that. But uh, I do uh, have some uh, comments about the Super Bowl. Uh, I was really shocked when I saw the uh, halftime show and I was told that that was the oldies Dr. Dre, Dr. Dre. Like when I was growing up, those yeah, were the but, but, rappers. But Eminem is not the, my oldies are, the, are Dion and the Belmonts. So I was really, you know, it just shows you how old I'm getting when the oldies are, are you know, a, a bunch of rappers, but, you know, whatever. So we have a really special guest, don't we, today? We do. Yes, we are thrilled to welcome to the show Michael Smith. General Partner at Regeneration VC. Thanks so much for being with us, Michael. Thank you for having me. So the the articles for today are interesting. Um, The first one is from this weekend's Wall Street Journal, and um, it's entitled, The Market Doesn't Care About History. And uh, our favorite writer, Jason Swag, has, has written an article where he says, in January of 2010, he reported in a national survey that investors expect the stock market to return an annual return of 13.7% over the next 10 years. He said that was ridiculous. He thought it would be 6%. Turned out it was 13.6%, just about exactly what people had predicted. And what he uh, was able to sort of put together as a lesson from this is he took a look at Robert Schiller. Robert Schiller from Yale University has a metric he uses, which is the uh, S&P 500 PE uh, divided by its average, which, which he's which instead of using earnings for the next year, he uses 10 years of earnings uh, adjusted for both price and inflation. And it's called the, the, the CAPE index. And what he found is that uh, in 2010, that index was 20.3 times adjusted earnings. And the average valuation historically, and historically, uh, Schiller went back to 1881, was 16.3 times. And so he thought based on the 25% over the historical number, it would not result in that kind of increase, but it did. And when he takes a look at today's number, the cap is 37.1 times adjusted earnings, significantly above the record in September of 32.6, and not far from from, uh, where it was in in September of 1929. And um, 
basically what he's saying is it doesn't matter what the history is. You need to look at what you think is the future. And, you know, based, anything based on historical performance is really going to be misleading. Well, that is that is one of the few uh, disclaimers that the government um, puts on things. Past performance is no indication of future return, right? So, yes, and this next article is in the same newspaper, and it just a quick, uh, it's a long article, but I just had one takeaway from it, and it, it talks about who is retiring earlier, and we know that there is an increase in retirees among young people, and what is not surprising, but a little bit um, uh, questionable, is that most of the people he interviewed for this article said the reason they're retiring is either their house has increased in value or their stock portfolio has increased. Uh, it's not as if they have a great deal of, of, of capital or investment income. It's just that their assets have increased and they feel comfortable. And I just think that that could be, particularly if you're a 35, 40 year old, given the cyclicality of the market uh, and not knowing what the future holds, I think that could be a very risky decision to retire at that age. Well, it's almost going to have an exponential effect because we're right now at a shortage of workers. And so if people are taking themselves out of the job market and we're a consumer-based economy, that's going to overall hurt our potential for growth as a, as a country. Uh, the next article is talking about uh, 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 cryptocurrency. And you know we've been, over the last two years, uh, to put it mildly, questioning the whole uh, raison d'etre of uh, cryptocurrency. But Can I just all... add in a ditty before you finish it? You know, yeah. there were a couple of crypto companies advertising yesterday at the Super Bowl. And one of them, I think it was Coinbase, they did an advertisement at the Super Bowl and then their site went down because they got too much traffic that it couldn't handle it. So I just thought that that was pretty <laughs> emblematic of, of the whole situation of, in crypto. Well, you know, and Larry David did one of them. And, you know, oh, yeah. the th and the theme of Larry David's was, you know, he's always wrong and he's saying, don't do it. But, you know, the idea that you think that you know what you're doing, um, you may not, in fact, know what you're doing with comes to particularly new innovation. But this article is interesting. It doesn't criticize crypto. It just says, hey, listen, you know, there's a lot of different currencies out there. And when the when it settles, you're not going to know which one is going to be the survivor, which two are going to be the survivor. And it has sort of a, you know, an ironic it, uh, uh, way of putting it. He says, we don't excite or InfoSeek or web crawler, we Google. Uh, and we do our Googling not on a device made by MITS or IMSAY or Chromaco or Commodore, but on an iPhone or an and Android or a Mac. So what, what he's saying is that we're so early in the game and there are so many choices, we're not really clear on which ones are gonna survive. And if you, know, if you would have bet the farm on- um, Betamax. Uh, you know, remember Betamax versus VHS, Betamax being a superior quality product and VHS went out. So this yeah, is really- do you, do you, you don't have a Betamax player. I have a few, you know, my kids growing up, I, you don't- I don't, they, <laughs> they stopped working at this point. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, and the last article I have is, uh, and I think you'll appreciate this, not because you're old, but because you're a financial planner. It says, when it comes to a will or an estate plan, don't just set it up and forget it. You need to keep them updated. And ec experts recommend revisiting your will and other estate planning documents at least every few years, unless there's a reason to do more. 
one of the main considerations for review is a life event, a major change in your life uh, or income or spouse. And uh, here's the sort of shocking number. Fewer than 46% of all U.S. adults have a will, according to a Gallup poll. Uh, and, aside, and aside from reviewing your will in terms of who gets what, it's also worth checking on whether the person you name as an executor is still suitable. The person uh, who is in charge, you know, people tend to pick somebody they really think is smart and, 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 and noble, and that person could be, you know, uh, in, 10 in the, years your senior and not, not around right, and, and, and not knowing where he is or she is at the time. Uh, and the other thing it points out is that there are some assets outside of the will, including retirement accounts, uh, that uh, have their own name beneficiaries. And you have to make sure that you, you, you make that those beneficiaries are still the ones that you uh, want because irrespective of what the will says, uh, if you have a name beneficiary in a particular asset, it's going to go to that person. And so you have to be careful that you update uh, 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 your beneficiary beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. um, so do, do you find that statistic surprising, uh, Diane? 48%, less than 48%? Um, no, I don't, because I can't tell you how many people that come to me that don't have a will to start with or a trust. And I think the trust is, is almost just as important in the state of California to have because we have a mandatory probate fee. And so, you know, you, you need to get a will, you need to get a trust. And if not, you know, it, the assets go perhaps where you don't want them to go. Now, many people have looked at me and said, well, I'll be dead then, so I, I don't care. But the reality is, is most people do want to leave a legacy for their family as opposed to leaving it to the state. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9 and streaming at AM 1290 KZSB.com. And we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. The Foundation for Santa Barbara City College is a nonprofit organization which supports our own Santa Barbara City College. The Foundation for Santa Barbara City College, or SBCC, funds scholarships, childcare, book grants, and other programs. Without these, many students simply would not be able to attend college. There is an amazing range of academic and vocational studies offered at City College which encourage students to find their passion and their talents. As a donor to the Foundation, you have the power to change lives. 
please help our community college by donating to the Foundation for SBCC. Call 730-4401 or visit us at sbccfoundation.org to find out how you can help. That's 730-4401 or sbccfoundation.org. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk twelve ninety dot at gmail.com. I'm losing my mind. So anyways, we are in, we are with Michael Smith today, who's a general partner at Regeneration VC. Michael, thanks so much for being here with us. We really appreciate your time. Absolutely excited. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? I'm originally from Michigan, from a little suburb of Detroit called Birmingham. And my family moved to Santa Barbara actually in the early 90s. So we've been here since then, my family has. And I went away for a period of time. And after I had kids, ended up coming back about five years ago. That's great. And so tell us what, when you were a little kid, what you wanted to be when you grew up. Because my guess is it probably wasn't a venture capitalist. Yeah, I had no idea what that was. Uh, I was always obsessed with music. Music was my passion and I wanted to be a professional musician. And I I did get to live that dream for a period of time. I was a professional disc jockey and got to play in uh, a lot of events around the world. Oh, how fun. Tell us a little bit about that. That seems exciting. It was. I um, uh, started playing in, in, in small events and, and then bars. And pretty soon I was uh, opening for Artists like Guns N' Roses and Kanye West and Snoop, who you saw at the Super Bowl yesterday, and many others. So it was a a fun moment in time in in my life that I enjoyed very much. So tell us how you incorporated in or became interested in really environmental causes and what, what caused you to meld together the VC world and the environment. Yeah, so growing up, in and being in Santa Barbara um, was was really amazing, right? We had the 69 oil spill here, which cemented from Senator Whitehouse Earth Day, and we had CEC come out of that, and you had Patagonia here, and you have the Brenton School, and all these amazing environmental groups that uh, I got to know and, and, and learn from, especially as it related to oceans and other causes. And so it was really in my my DNA, so to speak, and it was something that I would contribute to and follow over the years uh, with with many of those groups. And so um, over time, as as climate and environmental issues came more to a head, I determined I wanted to to spend and dedicate my my life to the the climate emergency. Um, Venture capital is unique, right? We were talking about public markets. Venture capital has um, outperformed all other asset classes on a returns basis with with pretty limited exception over the last few decades. And I've been an early stage investor out of passion and interest. I'm just fascinated with private businesses, with smaller 
you know, market businesses that um, don't have that the same kind of uh, challenges or, or opportunity as public markets. Uh, and it struck me as a unique um, intervention point to address environmental issues through for-profit companies um, where you could find potentially profits alongside measured environmental outcomes. Do venture capitalists um, uh, have the same issues that some of the uh, environmental funds have where they tell their investors, we may have to take a smaller return in order to make sure that our goal about the environment is met or are venture capitalists still looking to maximize profits um, and try to obviously uh, uh, deal with the issues that they care about, which is the environment, but is, is maximizing profits the primary motivator? So it's a great question. There's um, a set of funds that are focused on what are called discretionary returns, where they will electively take a lower rate of return on certain investments and in, in trade off for um, other uh, and related environmental impacts or other impacts. Um, that's not how we think about things. We want to hit market rate or above market rate returns with, with our strategies. That's when venture capital really works and attracts not just more. So we don't need to be the only fund doing this. We want hundreds of funds doing this. And the way you do that is by showing that it's an investable place and that you can have good returns. And then you also want to create an environment where founders of some of these technologies see that you can be successful and you attract the best minds to the space such that we can then meaningfully attack some of the intractable challenges around climate, for instance. Following up on that question, there's a front page story in the Wall Street Journal today about a criticism of some environmental uh, funds uh, and companies that uh, people believe are overstating their success. You know, using 19, uh, 2019 as a, as a base year, for example, of their carbon emissions. Um, how do you um, make sure that you and also your investors make sure about you that you're achieving the goals that you're stating? So right now, the, the whole ESG space is under uh, careful watch of the SEC in terms of how they are reporting and the ways in which they're reporting. And it's, I think, a very great and important exercise. It's early days in terms of how we measure, calculate, and share um, environmental impact. And typically, this is done around things called um, life cycle assessments, LCAs, and um, bills of materials and supply chain analytics of how companies operate from their scope one through three emissions. So without getting too into the weeds, um, there are challenges on how we agree on how this information is shared and reported and um, open collaboration is required. And there are a lot of groups working towards that end right now. Um, there are certain public market op, uh, companies that have taken advantage of these systems and that, and they've been called out recently and will be called out more in the future. But in private markets and with small businesses, we have the luxury of being able to be very close to those companies. So we get to see on a more hands-on basis what's really going on and work with our companies to improve what they're doing in order to you know, get to better outcomes. So how do you go about screening um, companies that you're looking to invest in for environmental you know, impact. Right. Well, it determines which particular area and problem that we're looking at, but the, the basic is it's like 
counting calories, right? We're counting carbon or carbon equivalents typically on the energy side. We're looking at their waste streams. We're looking at, you know, um, their material footprints. We're looking at how they behave with water and, and, and so on and so forth. And you can tell quantitatively how they're doing and how they compare against others and see if there are certain opportunity sets to scale around successes where, um, uh, where they're outperforming market. Now, are you involved in any carbon capture um, companies that are looking to capture the carbon and put it back into the earth? Um, and if so, where do you even put that in, in terms of, of the overall portfolio? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. So, so we're focused around an area called the circular economy, right? And I'm happy to get more into depth on, on, on where we're doing things, but um, carbon capture is pontificated and has started in areas around oil and gas and um, some other fringe and exciting technology sets um, that, you know, conceptually you can remove carbon from the air, scrub it, and then inject it subterraneously um, and store it with something called permanence and, and put it away. Uh, and you can do that in, um, in oil gas, you can do that, you know, uh, through the air, you can do that in the flu, capturing it within chemical emissions. I mean, we could we could definitely get pretty nerdy on on how that works and where that goes. It's exciting in theory. Um, it's something that should be tested. We should be using. We should be trying to scale. But currently, most direct air capture solutions cost significantly more and use more energy than they capture. So um, there's been very few instances of, uh, of any success yet in this space, but it's one that we watch and that we consider. So let's talk a little bit about what you're involved in, in the circular economy. And what does that mean? Right. So right now we live in a linear economy. So 92% of everything that you consume, that you buy, that you touch ends up in a landfill or an ocean or a natural system. And we think that's a missed opportunity because when you put it something in a landfill, you have to pay to store it, businesses or consumers, or someone has to pay to, to store that. And there's emissions from landfills, methane and other greenhouse gases. So a circular economy is one where it's not just about recycling. We wanna reimagine the way that we make things. The materials that go into the products that we're consuming, we want those to be of higher quality and regenerating the planet. And then the um, companies that use those materials and the, pro and the companies and technologies that upcycle those materials into new things and reuse those materials or recycle or repair, that really encompasses the, the circular economy. So that, that, that's, that last comment is like an advocacy uh, statement, but you're a venture capitalist, so you're you're not only advocating it, you're you're trying to invest in solutions that would make it economically viable for that to happen. That's accurate. There are already a lot of success cases um, within each of those frames I just talked to on the material side, on the corporate side, and on the reuse side. We're trying to find. Um, the next generation of those solutions, uh, invest in those and help those scale up such that we can get that 92% number down to zero. And in so you're talking about a half of global emissions. So it's a, it's a, it's a major climate opportunity and there's uh, immense economic um, viability along the way. Accenture calls this a four and a half trillion dollar uh, opportunity this decade. 
You're listening, your- to, you're, li- you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 at FM 96.9 and streaming at AM 1290 KZSB.com. And we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB07220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB07528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. My name is Lola Silvestri, and I'm going to be 95 this year. I was very independent. I fell, and I had to have meals on wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And so, Michael, share with us some ways that or some new opportunities that you're investing in that we can, we as a society can reuse the waste, that 92% that you were speaking about. The good news is there's there's so much waste that there are many opportunities in many categories. So let's just start with agriculture waste because we live in a, a very agricultural area here in Santa Barbara County. There's a really unique company called Appeal Sciences you're likely familiar with that take agricultural waste streams, peels and stems from fruits and vegetables, and they make a biocoding that extends the life of products like fruits and vegetables for two to three times longer, gets rid of plastic because you don't need to wrap a Persian cucumber in plastic. And that's all coming from an ag waste product. You can take those same uh, ag ag waste, you can make fibers out of it. So you can make clothing out of what would otherwise go to a landfill or be burned, right? And then you, of course, have downcycling when things like anaerobic digestion, where you could take ag inputs from dairy per se, or from food, and you can power homes with it. Um, the plastic space has been really tough 
only 9% of, of plastics get reused, but there are new solutions around recycled um, fibers and clothes of recycled plastic going into consumer products and a whole new supply chain around plastics. Um, look can at- we, Can I ask you something about the plastics for a minute sure. about how um, the EU has banned plastic wrap over vegetables that came out, I don't know, a couple months ago or maybe six weeks ago. I have no reference of time any longer. Um, what 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 um, progress do you think if, if the rest of the world adopted that, would that have? What impact would it have? Well, anytime you have regulatory weight, um, especially the EU being the leader in this on a number of environmental topics, right? It, it helps because it can create opportunities for um, new entrants to, to be able to compete. Because right now plastics are heavily subsidized uh, in the other direction and they have giant installations. And so incum uh, incumbents are very tough to take out. There's a ton of innovation happening on flexibles in particular, what you just described. Flexibles are really tricky to do with biopolymers, which are like you know uh, alternative uh, natural-based solutions versus chemical-based polymer solutions, um, but they don't perform as well yet in most cases. Uh, they don't. Ha they have oxidization challenges and tensile challenges. Can't use them for freezer and other things as much yet, with limited exception. I think the best way to think of it is kind of those compostable bags at the grocery store versus the old school plastic ones. <laughs> How the old school plastic ones, you could shove your fruit in there and they wouldn't pop out the other end. <laughs> is is that, is that right? Correct. So it's still very early days in flexibles, and that's it's one of the hardest areas to go after in plastics. But each of these categories, you know, you can really nerd out on and go deep on, and that that I'm I'm, I'm happy to do so. But you know, the the net takeaway is uh, consumer electronics, right? They have all these rare earth metals in them, and we throw them out to the tune of multi billion dollars a year to landfill. Well, there's new companies that go and get those devices and they take those rare earths and they melt them down and they make them into new devices and they make them into jewelry and they make them into things. So there are, there are now new um, uh, supply chain answers. We call them reverse logistics. If you're not sending something to a landfill, you got to get it back from the user or the consumer and reprocess it and you can make new things out of it. You know, I was thinking about one of the articles I talked about in the first segment, which was, you know, how Google was not the primary uh, uh, way to uh, search the web. There were companies that we've never heard of that were there first. Uh, I suppose one of the biggest challenges for venture capitalists like you is not only finding something that is going to make a difference, but it will be dominant and it will, it will survive. You have a really double-edged sword. You, you've got to pick something that works and you've got to pick something that has the abilities to succeed in a crowded market. No question. Um, and, and look, you don't, you don't, there, there won't be one Google in, in what we're working on. There will be, uh, I think, um, um, BlackRock's uh, Chief Larry Fink just said there's going to be a thousand unicorns created solving the, the climate crisis. And whether that's right or not, there's so many different sectors to address to move us from where we've been with this linear economy to where we're going with a circular one that um, we see a great deal of opportunity to invest in amazing businesses. Um, uh, that said, we hope that we have some, some of our investments as, as those future titans, if you will. What stage are you looking for? Are you looking for 
you know, two guys in a garage, or you're looking for someone that already has a, a round of money and you'll be the second or third. Yeah, we look at, at, at what we call seed in series A, uh, which vernacular shifts between uh, which industry and how you look at things. But for us, that means they've demonstrated an ability to raise their own capital and get some amount of profit out, a product out. They've demonstrated a product market fit where they know that they have uh, uh, customers or users of their product. And they've started to think about, okay, how do we scale this up in the future? And that's an interesting point in time to, to, for us to come in because we get excited about helping build out these real businesses, but so much struggle goes into getting from zero to one uh, in, a, in a venture. And so, so, that, so you're pretty much right after the angel round, right? Series A and, and that seed, you're really early on. So, so what size companies are you investing in? Yeah, so these are companies typically from call it a twenty million dollar valuation up to two hundred would be the the kind of norm of where we're investing, and then we work with a lot of upstream growth capital investors that you know come in and at that next phase where companies have really figured themselves out and it's it's a matter of bringing in growth capital to help scale out around the successes. And so. Given that, you know, this, you're investing in companies that are really taking a, a chunk of making real change in, in the way, you know, I often say that there, there are two different kinds of change. There's changing people's behavior, which I think is the hardest, and then just changing kind of what they're using is, is much easier. How, how successful have your companies been so far in changing people's behavior? Because that's really going to be, if, if we can, if, if you can, your companies can change the way people view their, you know, even their agricultural waste, their kitchen waste, right? Their food waste and composted or, or what have you. Um, you know, that could make a huge impact in and of itself. Well, I think that's the hopeful message that, that gets us excited about what we're doing is that we all have a part to play in this, um, in, the, in, in the climate um, crisis, if you will apparel, the clothes we're wearing are 10% are of global emissions. And companies like Patagonia have demonstrated amazing success in educating and showing people that, you know, these topics matter. There's a whole new crop of companies and, and, and entrepreneurs that were inspired by that, that are launching businesses that are doing amazing things. And we're excited about supporting those and educating the, the consumer that they can do something. Now, they're not in a vacuum. We need a lot of people to do a lot around this topic, whether that be government, business, and, and, and other. But um, we get excited about um, giving people something to do and, and believe in behind these topics. Well, I, I do my part when it comes to clothing because everything is on Zoom now. I only have to wear half of the amount of clothes I used to wear. I don't have to wear anything on the bottom. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9 and streaming at AM 1290 KZSB.com. And we'll be right back.
For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the kellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank. Smart banking for smart people, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And we are here with Michael Smith, who's the general partner at Regeneration VC. And Michael, I, I just I want to ask you, you know, we've really taken a deep dive into the portfolio companies that you have and what they're how they're trying to change the world. Let's back up a moment and talk a little bit about Regeneration Venture Capital and how many companies are you invested in and how much money are you raising and how many investors do you have? Yes. So um, at Regeneration, we're focused on you know early stage um, companies in the areas that, that we just spoke about. We're going to make 20 investments. Um, so far, we've made about five. Um, I'm, I'm excited to talk about those in the, the near future, but we currently have a, a quiet period that, that does not allow me to go into more detail yet, but we will be able to hopefully on a future visit to the show. Right, we'll have to have you back. And, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, we're blessed to have some amazing uh, institutional family office and, um, and uh, other strategic investors uh, in backing us. And um, we'll also be able to talk about that soon enough but uh, uh it's been an incredible journey so far and I'm, I'm really encouraged by what we're seeing out in the marketplace what's happening um, within um, finance and uh, in the environment which was very different than when i started 
almost eight years ago, uh, there were a lot less people investing in this. There were a lot less funds. There was a lot less discussion and coordination around how we could utilize finance as a lever and fulcrum of change um, on, on some of these topics. So uh, it's, it's definitely a great time to be doing venture within this space. And so have you, have you, have you, have you, oh, sorry, go ahead. How long has Regeneration been um, in existence? Yeah, we started almost two years ago. Um, so a little bit before COVID, which was an interesting time to, oh to jump in. And then what a, what a fascinating change of the world of, you know, most of our uh, interactions are now done on Zoom. And how do you appropriately diligence companies remotely? And so many questions um, have and, and, and challenges have presented themselves. And we've worked our best through a lot of those. And uh, now we're at a, a very different point, but um, we're, we're uh, two years, a little over two years in. So the people that, uh, or the institutions, uh, the investor group, uh, are they uh, are they calling you first and foremost because of the environment or are they looking at this as just a good opportunity to make money or both? We hope it's both. Um, you know, We're out to prove that this is a better place to invest um, and if we do that, then I think we've served our bigger purpose, which is doing something to address uh, the climate emergency, because we don't need a small amount of capital. We need trillions and trillions of dollars shifting into these sectors. And if the returns aren't good or if they're, you know, uh, or if they're negative, if you will, that's just going to slow down our rate of change and, and, uh, and momentum to shift change. So um, we're hopeful that we can be above market with our returns and a place that everyone would just rationally and logically want to be. Um, regulatory has slowed us down a bit, as you can imagine, from the build back better within the U.S. But on the other hand, the EU is, is full speed ahead, breaking new regulation on a daily basis. California continues to push the envelope on regulation, as does New York, New York and New Jersey, Canada, New Zealand, and so on and so forth. So there's some there, there's a lot of encouraging signals uh, to what we're doing as well, and giant corporate commitments, which are probably the most exciting thing. Frankly, I, surprisingly, uh, uh, in the surprising the amount and and quality of of commitments from corporates. So if you have somebody who's out there listening to the show and thinks, wow, you know, I want to be a part of what Michael's doing here, can, can do you take individual investors or is it primarily corporates and, and family offices and, and not? Yeah, we've we've taken um, uh, individuals that, you know, are, are excited, committed and, and can add potential value to what we're doing for sure. Um, and uh, we have uh, we're at regeneration.bc if anyone wants to check out uh, the the site and hear a little bit about us. Great. And so, you know, what kind of impact or difference are you hoping to achieve? And do you think that venture can do it alone, or do you think that government really needs to be the leader? You know, throughout history, we've had when we've seen change like what we'll need to see to address climate change, um, you know, usually it's been governments taking the lead. But do you see that differently in this specific instance? It's, it's really all hands on deck. Um, venture can't do it alone. Government can't do it alone. 
nonprofits and NGOs can't do it alone. I was in Glasgow um, in November for COP26. And what was interesting for the first time, the blue zone, which is the regulatory zone, was really looking out at the green zone or the corporate zone and, and acknowledging and learning from the green zone and using the momentum coming from private markets to drive the legislation and legislative agendas that were underway and have been discussed so many times. So are really complicated issues. It's really tough to get to global coordination about anything, let alone you know how we make, consume, and, and what we do with all things on the planet, uh, natural capital, biodiversity. I mean, these are these are really really massive issues, right? So it, it's not going to be any one group solving. It's going to be coordinated. But when there are private market solutions that work, when you can empower the current capitalistic structures that exist and the supply chains that exist and ignite those to be a, a force of good that, you know, that can catalyze capital that can catalyze founders and interest. And we try to do that in the apparel sector and the food sector and the packaging sector, everything that touches the consumer. Um, that's our approach. So Santa Barbara has always had a, 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 a concern about the environment, I guess, ever since 1967 or 68, whenever the oil rig disaster happened. Um, and uh, about a year and a half ago, Santa Barbara County opened up a state-of-the-art uh, recycling plant that uh, we had them on the uh, on the show uh, a month or so ago. And um it, 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 when you listen to what they do, it's really quite amazing. 85% or so of what goes in comes out in a very environmentally friendly way. Um, it, what, is that something, I don't know, you're familiar with that. And is that something that you know has uh, mass appeal for many, many communities? It's, it's incredibly exciting. Um, and not enough has been talked about what's going on there right now. Uh, to my knowledge, no one has ever done recycling, renewable energy, anaerobic digestion, and composting at a single site, right? So they're taking our compost scraps and, and stuff from our trash and, and, and breaking it down and using it to power 1,500 homes or 1,200 homes, something like that. This is a $150 million state-of-the-art facility, and it's really exciting. I do know there's question marks about... Um, uh, well, there, I've heard that there may be question marks about compost that comes out of it and the quality of it and the separation that goes into it, potential glass or plastic intermixing that may happen from it. Um, but I'm not certain on that piece. Regardless, it's, it's fascinating. And as you may be aware, California now mandates you to separate your organics in your uh, waste streams. And in Santa Barbara, we don't have to do that because this, this um, resource center is doing it for us, which is pretty convenient and pretty cool and could be a future model uh, for, for many other places and enable more composting and, and so on and so forth. So I think it's a big deal. It's exciting that, that it's here in Santa Barbara and there's gonna be a lot of learnings from it. Um, you know, other interesting things like Marborg has done some other interesting um, collection around composting and work with the Bren School at the Chamberlain Ranch in terms of soil sequestration and regenerative techniques. And we're very interested in the potential of regenerative agriculture and soils as a, a sequestration opportunity for, for atmospheric carbon. That's really exciting that you could get great food out of our, out of our local soils. So I'm really excited about some of the innovation that we're seeing locally here. 
one of the things that I'm optimistic about is that over the years, I've been trained to recycle certain things. And the the new rules about recycling, recycling uh, makes it uh, possible to throw in the garbage certain things that I didn't uh, was was recycling before. And every time I do it, it bothers me, even though you're supposed to. So it's like you can change human behavior. 20 years ago, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. But now I feel guilty, even though I'm supposed to do it. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9. And believe it or not, we'll be right back with our final segment. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. A number of healthcare organizations designate February as Wise Healthcare Consumer Month. The prescription for Americans is to thoroughly research their healthcare options, as all levels of services and insurance are the elements of being a wise healthcare consumer. In the U.S., some 294 million people have health insurance from private, employer, or government plans. That's over 91% of the population. Profile America is a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And so we have Michael Smith, who's the general partner with us at Regeneration VC. If you'd like to learn more about what he's doing, go to regeneration.vc. Um, but Michael, first, I wanted to ask you, uh, so, you know, making money in new technologies is awfully difficult, as we all know. How do you make that judgment, not only on effectiveness of the technology, but also how can you capitalize on it? Yeah, so depending on what the technology set is, uh, we work with a, a group of advisors to help us get smart if we don't have the, the working knowledge around that particular technology. To understand it's ideally it's at a you know a technology readiness level that's um, into market and um, been de-risked from call it uh, 
a laboratory, a national lab or a university or something like that. And then we can start to say, okay, how does this scale as you produce it at a larger volume? Um, frequently, a lot of these tech breakthroughs that we see don't know how to make things beyond a, a, a pilot or demonstration phase. So can they scale that up and do they have a plan to do that is, is, is one. Um, on, the, on the business side, do they have customers? Do they have offtake agreements to big corporates that they may be partnering with or eventually competing with? Do they show interest or do they care about these areas? Um, that's something that you look at on, on more of a quantitative basis and, and look at the, um, the projections and, and, and business plans about how, they, how they're thinking, knowing that you know, a projection is always just that, but how, how are they being smart and are they being realistic about where they can go assuming success? And then we think about, okay, where does our capital go and how do we supercharge this team and this innovation in different ways to create even more value and uh, get to a, a threshold of return, we like to find at least a 10 times multiple of invested capital on, our, on each of our investments. So we wanna get a really great venture-like return over time because some work out, some don't. And between that, that mix, you get your portfolio. And so, you know, have you come across any, any firms or any startup companies that you think can have such a huge impact that you do you bring in other venture capitalists that share your vision for climate change? And, and if you do, how, how do you go about doing that? Is there a collective of funds like yours? It's a great question. And, and, and if you look at the traditional worlds of enterprise SaaS, which is what most people think about when they think about big tech and, and VC, it's very sharp elbowed. It's very competitive. The environmental tech landscape is very collaborative and people work together and certain people have different strengths and skill sets. And it's an encouraging part of our, uh, of our process and our world that, that we're excited about. Michael, we'll have to definitely have you back. We're only just touching this, the surface on this subject. Uh, thank you so much for being our guest, Michael Smith, General Partner of Generations VC. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk and we'll see you all next week. Yeah.